This is my mommy. This is my mommy. Welcome to the chef. Welcome to Nani and Mom. I'm Nani. And I'm Mom. If you're loving this podcast, we would be so honored if you subscribe, rate, and review. This helps others to find our podcast and helps us to continue to provide the content that you love. You can always find us on Instagram. We're at Nani and Mom Podcast. That's N-O-N-N-I-E and Mom Podcast to stay up to date with our new episodes. We would also love if you send us a voice message through the show notes or shoot us an email to Nani and Mom Podcast at gmail.com for episode ideas or specific questions. So, Mom, what are we talking about today? Well, today is a Beauty and the Beat episode, and I thought we would take a closer look at what is nutrient density. We've mentioned this before in a couple episodes, particularly I remember talking about it in our food and the holidays, I think, probably some others because it started to come up more frequently. One of the foundations as a nutritional therapist that we look at is eating a whole foods nutrient dense diet. So you'll often hear that in the basis of what we're doing. So I thought we would kind of just pick it apart the best that we can and see what it's all about. So good. From a broad perspective, food is made up of nutrients, right? Macronutrients and micronutrients. So the concept of nutrient density is pretty simple. It's just how dense or closely packed are the nutrients in the food that you're eating. The best analogy that comes to mind for me is kind of the idea of getting the best bang for your buck out of your food. We've mentioned before that food is the fuel that our body runs on. So mm -hmm. it's important to give it the proper fuel if we want it to run well. Okay, good. I'm so glad that you're going go to go into this yeah, further. Yeah. So to make my case, I'm going to kind of explain some changes in nutrient density over the years. And the data points that I'm about to share come from a, a book called The Healing Power of Minerals, Special Nutrients and Trace Elements by Paul Bergner. So this is some data from the USDA. And it is based on the calcium, iron, and magnesium content of carrots, which has diminished between approximately 27 to 34 percent from the years of 1963 to 1992. Now, keep in mind, like, what? that's already, what, 20-year-old data at this yeah. point. Um, I'm sure there are Morning. some, there's probably some newer studies. Yeah. So... Basically, to break it down, there's 27% less calcium in a carrot that you ate in 1992 versus a carrot that was eaten in 1963. There was 28% less iron in a carrot eaten in 1992 versus 1963, and 34% less magnesium in a carrot eaten in 1992 versus 1963. So... I'm not a mathematician, <laughs> but I'm sure mm -hmm. that someone with the right brain could pretty quickly tell you how much more volume of carrot you would need to have eaten in 1992 to get the same amount of minerals had you eaten that carrot in 1963, right? Like, 
Are you kind of following? Yeah. Cause like I said, I'm I don't, totally I don't do math, but, but yes. I'm really upset. The point is that it would be more. <laughs> A whole lot more. <laughs> yes. So yeah. Like maybe yeah. 27% uh, more. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe so. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know either. Uh, there's some math people out there who are laughing at us right now because I can't do that type of formula in my head, but the I point can't and is I don't want to. That we've lost, <laughs> right? We've lost nutrient density in our foods for so many reasons that it would be an entirely separate episode to to talk about why we've lost I, so much nutrient I density. I want to cover that too. Can we do that soon? <laughs> yes. We'll have okay. to come back to that because each one of those are a, probably a full episode. But when you think about it, the need for those nutrients in our body has not reduced by that percent. In fact, right. you might argue that in today's world, you need more of those nutrients to make your body run effectively. So bottom line is that it's, that's why it's important to, to focus on nutrient density so that you are getting the most out of what you're putting in your body. For some context... Magnesium is required for as many as 300 enzymatic reactions in the body. So when we're consuming food that has a lower volume of some of these nutrients, our bodies pay the price. A few of those many purposes are that we're familiar with are contractions of the muscles and your teeth and your bone structure. So you can kind of see the concern here. Yes. So... Let's talk about what we can do to maximize our nutrient density. The reality is there are a lot of things. These are just a few, and you obviously don't have to go all in on doing all of them, but there are certainly some things that we can do to focus on maximizing the nutrient density of what we're eating. The first thing I would say is to start paying more attention to where your food comes from. Try growing your own food or supporting local farmers and ranchers if that's available to you in your area. Growing your own food, you, of course, may not be able to fill everything, you know, that you need to, but you you start to realize the concepts of the nutrient density. So especially, too, when it comes to our animal products, sourcing products from animals that were fed their natural diets and lived well will result in a better nutrient profile of those animal products that we're eating. Improper diet and poor living conditions change the nutrient profile, thus the nutrient density of animal products pretty tremendously. Um, so I think that that's always a great area of focus also. And then within your budget and your means and your availability, support companies that align with your values, knowing that this of course will look different for everybody. But Good companies that are out there doing good work will be transparent about where they source um, their food from and are actually even great at explaining what nutrients are in those foods and how they benefit your body. You know, there's an educational component to it. So, again, that's going to look different for everybody, but something definitely a good place to start. The next thing that I would say is a great way to focus on nutrient density is to prepare your food properly. So washing produce to remove unnecessary debris and chemicals and residue. That way our body can focus on processing just the food 
that we're trying to eat instead of having to also process the food plus whatever is on the outside of our food. The next thing I would say would be soaking beans and legumes and nuts and seeds has been shown to improve the digestibility of nutrients. So, And then I would also say that dried beans are quite affordable. Mm-hmm. I use them a lot to bulk up a lot of our meals, right? So if, if something calls for two pounds of meat, I might do one pound of meat and then offset it with the same volume, but in beans, just to stretch it a little bit further. So that's a way that you can increase the nutrient density of your nuts and seeds and beans. And then mm-hmm. something that's pretty okay. simple would be pairing all of your veggies with a healthy fat like grass-fed butter or coconut oil. We may have even mentioned this on a previous episode talking about how most vegetables contain fat-soluble vitamins, which, just like it sounds, means that the vitamins need fat in order to be absorbed by our body. So if you eat a vegetable that is rich in fat-soluble vitamins, but you're eating it alone— Our body has a harder time actually accessing those vitamins within that food because the vitamins themselves are soluble only in a fat. So Mm. if you're not eating it with a fat, it's harder. So yay, you just gave me permission to eat some butter. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Yay! Um, In addition to that, on the veggie topic, I would also say, you know, you can find data everywhere that says that there's like a specific way that you should eat your vegetables that maximizes the nutrient density of it. I would say prepare them in a variety of ways. So prepare them from raw to sauteed to steamed to roasted because every type of heat exchange changes the bioavailability of the nutrients within that veggie just slightly, right? So instead of saying, you should always eat your vegetables steamed, I would say, eat your vegetables in different ways every time you eat them. You know, sometimes eat them raw, sometimes saute them, sometimes roast them, and sometimes steam them. And then you get kind of a well-rounded picture of the qualities that that food brings to you. Okay. Then I would also say to use proper cookware. Again, this is kind of a not directly food related, but helps our body to process just the food. So storing in glass when possible is a good idea. Limiting heating up your food in plastic. So if you're going to store your food in in plastic, store it cold and then heat it on something not plastic. Heating plastic in the microwave is shown to, you know, be a contributor in leaching substances into our food that we probably don't want to be ingesting. Okay. And then uh, transition from a nonstick Teflon to maybe cast iron and ceramic cast iron. Uh, You really only need one to three good pieces to cover most of your bases when it comes to cooking. And, And this is such a transitionary process, right? Like, I remember we've had a cast iron for years and years and years and we really only recently started using it regularly. And now it's our mm-hmm. it's our most used piece of cookware. And we mostly use our cast iron, plus we have a few other things that we use. But again, a slow process to kind of transition to those. Okay. So let's talk about some examples of nutrient-dense foods. This is like the million-dollar question, right? And I will also say that this 
is not an exhaustive list and it's going to look different for everybody. Everyone's needs are different and this is really just for educational purposes only, right? I think I've said that before. Okay. I'll continue mm-hmm. to say that. If you're if you're looking for specifics on what works well for your body, I would definitely always recommend working with someone individually to help guide you with that process. So, first things first. Unfortunately, fast food is not nutrient dense. <laughs> Nor is most prepackaged. <laughs> most crap. fast food is not nutrient dense. Um, that's not to say that it can't fit into a well balanced diet, but sorry, it's not going to be the most nutrient dense option. Nor is most prepackaged food either. So mm-hmm. we would probably want to aim to eat minimally processed foods that are as close to their truest form as possible most of the time. And that most is, of course, to make room for the fact that we don't live in this bubble where that's always possible. Getting on to some of the more specific ones. Now, these might be a little contentious in some areas, but bear with me. Properly sourced animal organ meats like liver, heart, and kidney. Those are great options when sourced... (laughs) appropriately they're they're not bad um so the cool thing is that these days you can actually find them in a ground beef mixture so or chicken mixture like they'll mix in these organ meats they'll they'll grind ground it into the ground meat mixture and then you can just use it as if you were using your ground beef or your ground chicken for whatever recipe you want to where are you finding this kind of meat with organs mixed in there Some of the local farmers that I source from, farmers and ranchers, will produce some of their meat that way. Okay. I don't know if they sell it mainstream in the stores because I haven't looked because I buy most of my meat from the local farmers that are haven't. I haven't seen that, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Right. You just got to start looking for it. And that can go a long way. I will also put liver in meatballs. And in our chili. And we just do it in a proportion where we like it doesn't taste like liver. Okay. It's a it's a great source. Liver is a great source of iron, but it also tops the charts for many other nutrients per serving also. I remember when I was first getting going in the program and I was reading through the book that we had on basically like basics of nutrition and every page you turn when it's breaking down the nutrient profiles of different foods or which foods have the top nutrients amount of nutrients in them it's like liver 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 so Mm. it's a great option if you can start working it in now there are some kind of caveats which is again is why this is all very personalized because if your iron levels are high you may not want to be incorporating liver as often as others Mm. Mm mm-hmm Another great option that is quite convenient, in my opinion, is wild-caught tinned fish or canned fish. I don't know what you call it. But sardines, anchovies, oysters, anything that's lower on the food chain, the smaller fish. I also like mackerel. Those are all great options. And again, very convenient to just throw on top of a salad or on top of avocado toast. I'll eat it that way, too. But sardines are rich in vitamin D, B vitamins, iron, magnesium, potassium, zinc. Oysters are also a great source for zinc, B12, selenium, 
copper. Not an exhaustive list, but a pretty impressive one. Mm-hmm. Pastured eggs are also really nutrient-dense. They're a great source of our omega-3s. And then this one may surprise you, or something that we don't commonly see in our diets a lot, is seaweed. So kombu or nori. It's rich in all three of those minerals I discussed earlier, calcium, magnesium, and iron, but also more. So I keep kombu on hand and I will cook it with my beans and it kind of just like breaks down and if there's chunks left, I take them out. But it infuses a lot of these good minerals into the foods that we're eating. You can also find like seaweed snacks these days. Not my total favorite, so I don't keep them on hand. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm sure that with a little bit of looking around or searching, you could probably find one that is palatable, I guess you would say, or maybe, you know, different preferences for different folks. So you might end up liking it. I think I've heard people say that you can kind of crumble up seaweed and sprinkle it on your scrambled eggs. You can do the same. You can crumble it up and put it in your soups or probably even just cook it up with your ground meat, whatever you're cooking. And in the right proportion, it's not going to be an overwhelming flavor because you're not just like eating it plain. <laughs> Where do you find seaweed in the grocery store? The Oriental Isle, most oh, okay. likely. This is, kind, this is kind of speaking to the, the age that we live in now. I do a lot of my grocery orders online, right? So I'm not physically going down the aisles to pick these things out, right? So you just type in seaweed? <laughs> yeah, seaweed or kombu, K-O-M-B-U. Um, that's the thicker type of seaweed. So mm-hmm, K-O-M-B-U. And then seaweed nori, I think, is going to be that like thinner, more of like sushi style that you like okay. can roll mm-hmm. and make sushi with. But yeah, I think most grocery stores are going to have that. I don't think you have to seek out a specialty store to find those. It is, so that's, again, something where it's at our fingertips. It's as convenient as a lot of the other foods that we're picking out at the grocery store. We just sort of have to make, put it in the front of our brains to make sure we remember to have it and keep it on hand and use it. Okay. Okay, the last one that I have to throw in there, shameless plug, eat your beets. Beets, beets, beets. (laughs) They just have so many benefits that they deserve a bullet point. Nutrient density from the perspective of beets, I don't know. But I feel like they weren't their own bullet points. So I have to throw that in there because there are just truly so many benefits to eating beets. (laughs) I love beets. That's good. All right. So I know some of these may sound overwhelming or let's face it, disgusting to some people. I've heard that (laughs) as a response. But I promise that slow changes are possible. So you can nutrient stack. So when you start thinking about these being stackable, it feels more manageable. For example, if you're making avocado toast, you can have that with a scrambled egg or a fried egg and topped with sardines and then a ton of whatever seasoning you like. I'm huge on the everything but the bagel seasoning or some other places call it something different. Everything but the bagel. You know, it's basically an everything flavor seasoning that's savory. So you can put that on top. I'll also do that with pate. I'll put pate on toast and put seasoning on it, put a fried egg on top and you know, so so they're your nutrient stacking. You know, it's not that you have to think of these each individually and, oh, I need to eat my sardines. Oh, I need to eat my eggs. You know, you can find ways to enjoy these foods where you're stacking them together in different ways and you're getting 
even more bang for your buck when you're doing so. I think I already talked about crumbling up your seaweed and putting Mm -hmm. it in your soup or on your eggs or working it into your meatballs. And again, those are things that I think once they're done, you can't even taste it. It doesn't change the taste very much, but you're you're adding a little bit of extra pop to your bang for your buck. So you're getting more out of it. If you're making meatballs, maybe give it a shot and see what you think. I have questions. So the liver... Is it a beef liver or is it different kinds of livers or? So my philosophy is to diversify as much as you can within everything that you're eating. So if you can get to the point where you enjoy liver, I would suggest sourcing it from different animals with organ meats particularly I definitely do recommend, you know, making sure that you are sourcing it appropriately because especially an organ like the liver or even the kidneys and the heart, they all do so much within the body to get rid of toxins and they have a lot of stress put on them in that way. I would certainly recommend trying to make sure that your organ meats are sourced from animals that are fed their natural diet. So grass-fed beef liver or pasture-raised chicken liver. As far as the differences in the liver go, it's it's been suggested that chicken liver is a little bit more palatable than beef liver. So that may be a, a good option to start with if you're just now dabbling in it. I tend to just buy what I what I have. I would say we probably eat more chicken liver around here because of its palatability. I remember when I first tried making pate, I tried with beef liver and it didn't turn out that great. <laughs> but I've <laughs> since found a recipe that I enjoy and I typically make it with chicken liver. So yeah, I think it's really just personal preference once you kind of dabble in it and figure out what you like and you may use them differently. You know, you may have them both on hand, but you only mix your beef liver liver in when you're making chili or something like that, as opposed to eating it more plainly. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Wow. This is a lot. But But baby steps, right? It is. And and exactly. So that's what I was going to say next is that if none of this still sounds like your cup of tea, there are always so many other ways that you can maximize your nutrient density. So for example, before a meal, you can ask yourself, you know, how can I make this meal more nutrient dense? And that could mean adding a raw carrot to your plate or some leafy greens on top of or on bottom of whatever you're eating. You know, if you're eating a soup, throw in a handful of leafy greens that will wilt down. It could also mean topping your food with fresh herbs or some nuts and seeds like flax seeds or hemp seeds or chia seeds. So again, what I've listed, what what we talked about, those quote-unquote nutrient-dense foods, that's not an exhaustive list and it's not all about just what you eat. You know, it's about paying attention to how am I interacting with my food and am I being mindful about what I'm consuming? And that's not every meal. You know, you don't have to get hung up in the in the concept of every time before you eat, oh, my meal isn't nutrient dense enough. How can I make it more nutrient dense? Like, no, that's not what it's about. This is as most of what we talk about here, this is about just bringing awareness to the, these ideas and bringing it to the table so that you yourself can start to be more mindful and start to make the decisions that, you know, suit your needs the best. Correct. Well, so I hope this has been helpful. It's a lot. <laughs> I'm really glad we covered it, though, because it does bring it to the awareness so that you can start paying attention to the baby steps that we can make. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I did want to let everybody know that I'm getting closer to graduating. I'll be graduating this summer, and I would love to be able to let you know when my services are live. And believe it or not, I have an email list that I'm going to start sending emails out to, I promise. And my email subscribers will be the very first VIP list to know when I'm taking clients. So you can join my waitlist at thebeautyinthebeat.com. Don't worry, I'll put that in the show notes. And in the interim, like I said, I'll also be sending out exclusive nutrition tips and stories and ideas all throughout the summer. So I would love to connect with you guys that way. If you're loving what you're hearing on the Beauty and the Beat episodes, it'd be great to um, stay connected with you guys. As always, thank y'all for your time. We honor that. So we will wrap up here and we hope to see you back in a future episode. See you soon.